Hello, Bulldogs. Thank you for tuning in to Who's Behind the Bulldog, Arvada High School's community interview podcast series. I'm your host and one of the assistant principals at Arvada, Jeremy Jensen. Each week, I'll sit down with someone from our Arvada community, be it staff, students, families, or other community members, to hear their stories. We'll discuss their histories, successes, challenges, learnings, future hopes and dreams, and much more. I hope you find some connections in their stories and hopefully are inspired to take some time to get to know them a bit better as our school year progresses. We have an amazing community here at Arvada, and I hope we can continue to strengthen that despite the challenges that await us in these unknown times. Today's guest is Darcy Botham. Darcy is new to our school this year and is really excited to jump on board the Arvada Express. Choo choo. Darcy will be co-teaching both a 9th grade Geographic Studies class with Kyle Smoker and Lauren Brennan, as well as a 10th grade American Studies class with Ryan Ogie and Josh White. She'll also have a section of Lytic Cell 2. In this episode, Darcy discusses how her desire to teach began at a very young age and has led to wonderful teaching experiences in public and Montessori schools, eventually leading to her pursuing of her master's degree in ESL. She talks about strategies that she finds most successful in working with NEP, LEP, and FEP students, and shares some excellent advice on building a strong community. Darcy's warmth and passion for education makes her a great catch for us here at Arvada, and I hope you don't hesitate to reach out to welcome her to our school. To remember her name, Botham, pretend you're pulling back a bow in archery with your thumb up. Hence, Botham. I hope you like our interview. Darcy, hello, and welcome to Who's Behind the Bulldog. Hello. How are you doing? Good. It's really nice to meet you. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're so excited to have you. Um, we've been emailing a little bit, but finally today I got to see your face, and it's no longer the digital behind the words. It's all like in person now, so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Got a little bit of stuff unpacked a little bit ish into you know the room so it's a good way to start it's always one of my favorite parts of the school year actually is the unpacking and getting the classroom ready it's weird i'm, I'm bizarre but <laughs> well i think people who've been doing this for a long time you get into that cycle where you look forward to that beginning of the school year and it's just you know time to to be rejuvenated and it's fresh and fun and yeah yep. gearing up um darcy tell me what brought you into education um, it's funny because when I was thinking about this question, um, I've never thought about doing anything else. So ever since I was as young as I can remember, I just knew I was going to be a teacher. So um, I remember vividly in second grade telling my parents, this is what I'm going to do, you know, and they weren't surprised either because the whole time I was growing up, I would play school, my poor sister and my stuffed animals were my students, and it was my favorite thing on earth, right? Um, and so the older I got, I grew up in Jeffco and went to Stanley Lake High School back when it was new, so that will tell you how old I am. Um, they had the prospective teacher program. I don't know if Jeffco still does this, but it was for people like me who thought they wanted to go into education. So I, um, as a junior and senior, got to go to local schools and get some hours in, observations, um, 
even teaching a little bit of lessons, mostly assistant stuff. And it was really fun because um, I worked with my second grade teacher that, you know, she was my whole inspiration. And it was very eye-opening because I suddenly realized as an almost adult, I'm not cut out to work with little kids. So they drove me crazy. And I was like, oh, thank God I had this opportunity because then by the time I got to college, I decided, oh yeah, I'm gonna become a high school teacher. So that was my path. Um, I always loved English, so I became an English language arts teacher. So, so you had a double major in college? Um, no, it was just English education at UNC. So it was like, you know, you're studying English, but for the whole purpose of teaching it. Um, and then I minored in philosophy because it was fun. So yeah, that's pretty much how I got. Awesome. And how are your stuffed animals doing now? Yeah. <laughs> Those poor traumatized animals. <laughs> I'm sure they're very smart. <laughs> yeah. um, so what was sort of your journey in being able to come to Arvada? Well, so I started teaching in 1996. And um, except for a little block of time where I was a stay-at-home mom to raise my two boys, I have worked in education. Um, about half of those years as a classroom teacher and then about the other half as a para while I was focusing on raising my kids and going back to grad school to get my master's in ESL and stuff. Um, so I've been in lots of different places because of family reasons that we had to move around a lot. So um, I've had to start over frequently, but what that has given me is a, a broad range. Like I've taught grades four through 12. I've taught always English language arts or ESL. Um, I've taught in Montessori schools and traditional schools um, in Colorado and Arizona. So I've done a lot, um, but when my husband and I decided to come back to Colorado about six years ago, um, I voted that we moved to Jeffco, um, so I won. So we're, we live in West Arvada, and that's where we're raising our kids. Our boys go to uh, Ralston Valley and love it. And so when I saw the position here, I was super excited and very hopeful and um, can't wait to be a bulldog. So, Well, yeah. we are so excited to have you here. Um, it's fantastic that you're so excited to be here and that you feel like this is a good, a good fit for you. Yeah. Um, thinking about um, maybe some recent or some, anything from the past, really, but what would you say, like professionally or in teaching, that you are particularly proud of? So the last two years, I taught ESL at Thornton Middle School, and I taught um, mostly NEP students and then some LEP three students. And out of all of those kids. I am super proud of them because many, like a large percentage of my students, fepped out of ESL, which if you think about it, when I was teaching NEP 2 students in one academic year, they went from NEP 2 to fepping, which is incredible. And I know that that's, that happens, but I'm just so proud of them and their work and so proud of the hard work of all of my colleagues at Thornton Middle School that just work their butts off for the population. Um, it's a Title I school and um, the kids 
are awesome and they need a lot of going above and beyond. So um, to watch my students with that amount of progress in such a short time and to graduate out was incredible. So, you know, I couldn't really throw them like a big celebration and especially this year with COVID, we had to end remote. And so I was telling them, you know, remotely that they had graduated out of ESL is what I called it, um, sending them certificates through email, but um, it was just really, really cool to see. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Just for those listeners that may have questions about the difference between those terms, the NEP, the LEP, and the FEP, um, can you kind of just explain generally like what the, what that means? Sure. Sorry. No, um, no. Yeah. So NEP is um, technically, it's either, I think it's not English proficient, which I hate that. Honestly, I don't like that. It's a negative um, term or non-English proficient, I've also heard it that way, but basically there's four levels of um, language proficiency. And so the first two levels are NEP, so NEP 1, those are our baby newcomers to English. And then NEP 2, those are kids that um, technically have been speaking English for about a year, maybe a little bit more. Um, and then the next category is your LEP students, which is limited English proficient. And so LEP 3 students have been speaking English for a while and they can um, listen and speak English almost fluently except when it comes to academic language. They're, they're really needing a lot of extra help with academic language. And then LEP 4 is your last level of needing um, special education services. Not I don't mean special ed, but I mean like special services for uh, language proficiency. And then to FEP means that they've graduated out of all of those special ESL classes and it stands for fluent English proficient. So they're considered fully bilingual at that point. So, yeah. Yes, thank you. I, yes. Think, that'll be, I think that'll be helpful <laughs> for a lot of people maybe that have heard those terms before but maybe had questions about it technically like what those mean or what they really translate to. I'm sure that lots of people know but there might be some people out there that still have some questions about it. Um, so I think this could be good for them. Um, so thinking about engagement, um, what are some go-to strategies that you that you use with some of your students, uh, maybe even at different levels, um, that you find to be the most successful? Um, I would say just overall good quality cooperative learning strategies. Um, my years with Adams 12 were super beneficial to me professionally because they are a Kagan district. And so I did all five levels of their Kagan training and Kagan, for people who've never heard of it, um, is one of the most famous and popular long-standing cooperative learning um, programs. And basically what it taught me, if I just had to simplify it, is to say, you know, I was raised in schools where the teacher was the sage on the stage is the way you know you refer to it and they're doing all the talking and all the lecturing and the kids are taking notes and it's very passive and that's how I was raised um, and that's how I taught when I first started teaching but I learned quickly that works for a small percentage of kids and there's this huge percentage of kids they need to be doing the talking they need to be doing the communicating and the thinking and the wrestling with information and figuring it out for themselves. 
Um, and Kagan lends itself to that because there's all sorts of cooperative learning strategies that get the kids talking so that the teacher is doing really short mini lectures or lessons and then as soon as possible and even embedded in that lecture you're stopping frequently and you're having the kids digest it verbally with each other um, and as an English language teacher it's inherent into developing that language that kids need to practice the language all day long not just be this receptive tank that people are filling information into and they're not processing that language so for our ELL students it's critical we like for me I get them talking my classrooms are often kind of busy and loud because the kids are doing the work and I'm more of a guide on the side um, at that point and you know providing them those those scaffolds and you know the sentence frames and the vocabulary and just they need a lot of practice with the language so just getting them engaged in communication authentic communication as much as possible is what I think um, has helped the most it sounds very much aligned to what we believe in here as well. I, and I do know that Arvada, before I was here as well, had some Kagan um, trainings and people learned some strategies from Kagan. Would you say uh, there's anything that you do differently between any of your levels um, that you can name off the top of your head or think of? Like, oh, I, I do try to do this with my LEPs, but this with my FEPs. Oh, for sure. So, um, so NEP students that are newer to English they're gonna need those um, a lot more supports in terms of um, having visuals in front of them at all times, like flashcards of the academic vocabulary that we're working with. Um, they're gonna need like word journals and word banks, um, word walls for sure in the classrooms to say this is, this is the target language. Um, sentence frames that are visible that are used constantly and not just like posted in the room, but I'm pointing them out and saying, guys use these and you know, modeling, modeling, modeling. Um, for LEP students, you can use all of those things, but I would say at a quicker level, going from tabletop supports, like your NEPs are probably gonna need almost all the time. Um, LEP students, often you can start with those tabletop supports and then kind of remove them a little bit more quickly to say, okay, we've practiced, we've practiced. Now, see what you can do with more minimal supports, so kind of differentiating it that way. Um, FEP students, they're not in ESL anymore, but they're still being monitored. So once they technically graduate from ESL, they're still being monitored for two years in their regular classes. and so. Um, I think just in general what I do or what I would suggest for teachers is just check in with them. You know, don't assume that just because they're not in an ESL class that they don't need a little bit of extra support. So. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit, do you, have, you, um, have you ever been in a school or in your previous um, experiences have you implemented any projects um, before yes so I don't have like formal project-based learning training or anything um, 
but my years teaching in a Montessori school and then um, we raised our children Montessori until we came back here to Colorado so for about seven years that we were in Tucson we were immersed in Montessori it is a hundred percent project-based um, they call it follow the child right like so querying the students what are you curious about what do you wonder about when we have this broad topic this standard that we need to address what pops up for you you know and and following that passion and encouraging them to explore it at their own pace um, guiding them through research through um, collaboration with other kids that are also interested in some of the similar topics um, so I've done a lot of projects with kids and I would say in terms of closest to this age group last year my eighth graders when we were in the science language like language of science for ESL classes um, they were very curious about vaping versus cigarette smoking because you know they keep hearing like well which one is worse and which one is more dangerous and they have a lot of friends that vape and of course none of them do right you know they didn't admit it but they were very curious about it so they um, asked can we research this I said absolutely and long story short they learned a ton they were quite shocked at some of the um, details that they were finding out and um, uh, one of I think the greatest successes about following the kids passion is for example one of my NEP2 students came to me one day and she said miss we're the only ones learning about this in the school because we're in ESL and so we're the only ones that are studying this can we share this information with the rest of the school and I was like that's a great idea how should we do that and so followed them and their passion they said they wanted to create posters informational posters so they did that posted them around the school talk about meaningful you know and um, invested um, kids I've never seen them work so hard and be so proud of what they did when they would come back and report miss I saw a group of kids they were reading the posters you know so that was really cool that's great. So. That, that public piece like makes people feel very like proud of the work that they do and like sort of heighten that importance for them to be able to like produce something that's quality that they're um, you know, proud of. Yeah, and it was authentic. Yep. You know, it was totally generated from the kids. I mean, I would have probably come up with something boring, you know, like a lady. Oh, I don't know. What are we going to do? <laughs> Let's just do a presentation. But it's like, no, we already all know about this. Mm -hmm. So that was School. Well, you say that you you don't have the formal training behind it, but I think you've hit a lot of the big like the big concepts behind PBL. It's like that voice and choice. It's the authentic product. It's the ability for students to like um, connect in a real world sort of way to this. So um, I think you're ahead of the game in a lot of ways. So well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> I feel like I have a huge learning curve with new tech and Echo and all this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be, it's a lot, but um, like I said, you've got, with your experiences, it sounds like I think it, you'll fit right in and it'll be second nature, I'm sure, very quickly. Um, you know, equity is really important right now, um, nationally at our school and at our school. Um, what, do you, what do you do to promote an equitable education for everyone? 
I think the first thing that you have to do before you can even think about the education side of it, the academic side, is providing an equitable environment for the kids to be here physically in the school. Um, so I think it starts with building community right within your own classroom and just, you know, spreading that um, as much as you can throughout the school through just positive vibes, you know, um, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I think when kids see themselves as being welcome and valued and appreciated for their culture, for their language, for everything about them that makes them unique, they're gonna be invested right away. And when you have that moment, that's when you start to look at, now I'm gonna look at my curriculum, I'm gonna look at my resources, and I wanna make sure that those things are also in line with that community vision, where you want every kid in the classroom to feel like, this is my school, and this is my learning, I wanna be in charge of this, because I see myself in those successes of whatever it is we're studying. So if you're studying you know, world leaders or people who are just making great changes, um, they need to see that that's possible for them. And in my opinion, that's how it's equitable. So no matter what they're identifying with at their age, just to open it up and say, this is for all of us, this is all inclusive. Yeah, I think that's hugely important to make sure that that is a priority in all of our classrooms. Um, when we go into remote learning, because like we're going to have some students who are going to be remote, we're going to have some students that are going to be hybrid. Um, how do you plan to support, or maybe what are some some things? I'm not sure what your situation was, uh, your previous um, school. Um, if you guys went into remote or not, but do you have any plans or learnings about what you plan to do to support yourself and students? Yeah, definitely. We did um, go remote, same time frame as Jeffco. Um, we were heading into spring break and they called it early, you know, so we had a two week spring break and then when that was over, it was remote for the rest of the year. And um, it was tragic for my population. Um, especially my ESL students. I had approximately 65 kids, um, and it, j every week they just kept dropping off. More and more and more of them were just checking out of school entirely, and it was heartbreaking. Um, so, you know, I tried as best as I could to reach out to families, um, contact those kids, emailed them, pinged them. We use Google Classroom as our platform. Um, called home and I think a lot of them honestly they were already headed back to Mexico um, that's where most of my students originally were from and I think that they left before those borders were closed you know because that was the time that we were in um, so I tried and I would try again for sure I think especially with us starting with a remote learning environment this year that building of community, boy, that's gonna be an extra challenge because we're now doing this remotely. You know, we gotta to get to know each other and, and I can't really do that as well as I used to. So I'm gonna to have to challenge myself to say, how can I do this better? Um, I think keeping it fun, 
keeping it engaging so kids want to be there. Um, I think all students are just naturally curious and they want to learn, but it might be harder. You know, they've gone six months or more without that physical presence of school. And what does this mean, especially for freshmen coming in with anxiety? You know, this is high school, the grades matter for real, you know, for good. Um, so just going above and beyond trying to reach out. Normally, um, if it weren't COVID, I would be doing or asking to do home visits because I have found great success with home visits in terms of engagement and really getting to know kids' families and situations and letting them know, I gotcha, you know, and we're in this together. Um, I don't think I'll be doing that this year, not with COVID, but um, I think it's, it's gonna be hard. I don't think I have all the answers for that and I think it's just gonna be a lot of flexibility. <laughs> yes, flexibility is the big word for this year already for me right now. Yes. Um, yeah, it's gonna, like you said, it's gonna take some extra support to build that community and you're 100% right, is the community is gonna be the most important thing for us to really heighten and focus on and be really intentional about how are we gonna do that now, um, especially for the people that haven't been in our building, like you said, the ninth graders. So we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, well, and then I think, I mean, academically, obviously we have to talk about that too, right? I mean kids starting out remote or hybrid or staying remote possibly for the whole year, you know, I don't know what this is going to look like. Um, we have to make the content that these kids are sifting through, not really on their own, but sort of on their own. Um, we have to make it accessible to them. And so uh, one thing that I advocated for last year, as soon as we were going remote and I I was hearing from my students, Miss, you know, I don't understand my science readings, I don't understand my social studies readings because they don't have that shoulder support anymore that they were getting, right? All of those awesome supports. And I'm not faulting the teachers, we were all <laughs> just paddling, you know, trying to keep our heads above water. Um, so I advocated with my school principal and asked, could we please get Google Read and Write, which is an extension, pushed out to all the ELLs in our building, which we had almost 400 ELLs at the school, huge population. Um, and um, he was right on board with that. And so it was like overnight that they pushed that extension out. And so I was trying to train my kids. How do you use this resource when you're at home and you're having to make sense of this content pretty much on your own, right? And they loved it. So it's a great, great program. So, yeah. It's interesting you brought that up because Jonna Crawford actually yesterday in a meeting just brought that up too and she really wants to make sure that we have all of our students aware of this tool that is on all their Chromebooks and that we do some sort of like training with them and maybe we can model that or something next uh, when the teachers come back as well. That's um, awesome. I didn't even know that. So that's great. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, John is one of our SPED teachers. She's really great as well. Um, what are you excited about this year? What, what, what are you excited about um, upcoming plans that you might have for your classes? 
I don't know what I don't know yet. Um, totally. My role primarily is a co-teacher. Just, um, I know there's lots of different ESL classes so that people know um, what I'm gonna be doing. I'll be co-teaching with um, ninth and 10th grade integrated studies. So um, my role as I see it is to collaborate with those content teachers, social studies and English language arts, and say, okay, what's the content? Now, how can we make it accessible for our language learners and get them to be um, successful learners within whatever that is, right? So I can't really answer that for that. Um, one other class I'm gonna be teaching is Literacy Acceleration 2. And so that I'm really excited about. I started kind of digging into that. Um, it's all about real world authentic writing rather than, you know, kind of just stilted academic writing for the sake of academic writing. And so I'm really looking forward to teaching that class. So um, I think in terms of how to go about that, it's again, making it relevant to the kids. And I know that there's a library of books that we can use and things, but um, pulling in essays and newspaper articles and uh, poetry and different things that are happening right now that the kids will be interested in and just using that as a springboard for good quality response writing. So that's about it. There's lots of really interesting and controversial topics out there right now that people are like extra interested in. So hopefully that can be used to our advantage in that way. Yes, I hope so too. Yeah. And then Personally, what I'm really looking forward to is planning the summer vacation that we didn't get to take this summer because of COVID. So um, I've always dreamed of owning an RV and that will probably always be a dream. So we were going to rent an RV for the first time and take this massive trip to the Pacific Northwest um, because I have a junior and a freshman and our junior has always dreamed of going to college in maybe Washington, Oregon somewhere. So we were going to go do that this past summer. So what I'm hoping to do is to, to plan a really awesome vacation and by gosh, we're gonna have a vaccine yeah. and we're gonna be able to do that trip next summer, so. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, travel plans here were put on hold as well. I know that it will still exist. I'll still be able to go someday and we can hold on to that <laughs> memory of like what it feels like to travel, right? And have a really fun vacation, yes. yes. We need it. <laughs> That's cool about the renting the RV. I've never thought about, I've only done car, you know, like I never thought about like, is this also a place that I could live for doing a, the rental of something? I camped, of course, but not the RV thing. Yeah, it's, it's just always been a dream of mine to load the whole family in, get the dogs in there and just start trekking across the country. But um, I don't have like 150, thousand dollars sitting around in my pocket <laughs> so I was like you know what we can rent one for who knows how much maybe I don't know five grand I'm hopefully less or less yeah. <laughs> hopefully less <laughs> um, that's awesome um, how about um, some maybe personal or professional um, goals like what do you sort of hope to grow in this year um, I think it's, for me, it's been a little while since I taught high school, so I'm really excited to be back in a high school environment. So a professional goal for mine is to really get 
um, the kids looking forward to their next steps when they leave this building. And I think as it stands now, I'll pretty much be working with freshmen and sophomores, but I don't think that's too young to start really thinking about it. Um, and so I would say a professional goal is to, to really get to know my kids and where do they see themselves in five, 10, 20 years and help them already start to make their way down that path, um, whatever that might be, college, trade school, um, military, you know, what, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And supporting and really getting them there um, because the last 10 years of my career, I've taught the younger kids, fourth through eighth grade, and it's always been preparing them for the next school level, right? So now I need to get back into that mindset of, in just a couple of years, these kids are going to be adults, you know? So that, I guess, is my, my personal and professional goal. And it helps that I also have two high schoolers at home because we're living that life right now at home, too. So... Yeah, and they can be used as sort of examples as well, and you can learn the strategies of what's helpful for them and apply them to um, our students. Yes, yeah. for sure. And um, personally, and I can just share that my kids are very, very different learners too. And so I think about that when I think about my students because um, one of my kids is your, is a GT, like highly gifted. He was supposed to go to one of Jeffco's gifted center schools, which we chose not to send him to. We put him in his regular schools, but um, so he's needed a different path, right? And he's always been on the path of, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to college, you know, that. And then our younger son, polar opposite. He's on an IEP, he's got special needs, you know, he's on the path of, I don't really know what I want to do, you know? And so we're like, well, maybe trade school, maybe maybe you want to work at Pizza Hut, you know? Like he's always had that in mind. Like I want to work my way up in a company. So I think what that gives me as a teacher is I get it. I get how different these kids can be and we need to tap into those strengths and really start to guide them into their own separate paths so that they're successful no matter what that is. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I ask this question to everybody because I really believe in failing forward and taking risks and you only grow when you try to take a step in the right direction. But what's been your best failure, the thing that didn't go as well you thought, but you're kind of glad that it happened because you are a different person because of it? So when I thought of this question, it has nothing to do with teaching, but it's still my best failure because I still drive the car. So um, a few years ago, I pretty much wrecked the front end of my blessed forerunner that I still drive. And it's a complicated, embarrassing story, but basically um, I was so focused on backing out of this really crowded, um, parking lot there was people everywhere kids running everywhere and I was so focused on being really careful with the car next to me that I cranked the wheel too much and I hit this little concrete barrier on the side of my car and just peeled back the front end of my car and I had nobody to blame but myself and I was like oh my gosh I mean it was just this horrible sound 
And my husband's great. He banged it back into shape and it doesn't really matter because since then my oldest son also dinged up the car, you know, like it's it it's like battle wounds. But it's a metaphor I think for my life because I up until like my early 40s always focused on everyone else putting everyone else first and so that's what happened in that situation I was like oh I got to be careful of this car because they were parked too close and and I've learned later in my life you also have to take care of yourself and you need to focus on you and you need to be present in the moment you need to slow down Um, so I think that applies to our lives professionally and personally for sure and I think um, especially right now with the pandemic we're a lot of us are focused on taking care of others and you know I'm taking care of my mom and you know it's it's just always been this this thing and I think reflecting on those experiences and, and looking inward and saying what is best in the long run we can't take care of other people we can't take care of our students needs we can't take care of our colleagues needs or our family unless we take care of ourselves too so for me that has meant a shift to finding myself now that my kids are getting older i'm like oh they don't necessarily want to be with mommy so much anymore i have time again what do i want to do who do i want to be and so um you know, finished my master's degree, went back into teaching and enjoying finding myself again in all of this. And so um, have been doing a lot more hiking and getting into nature and, and that kind of thing. So I think that is my best failure because it changed me. This may relate to the last question then, which okay. is your advice, the advice question. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's a different piece of advice that you find as that you've learned over time as an educator that you would give to yourself uh, like an old self. But what would you say is, is your biggest piece of advice for others? Um, maybe it kind of lends itself to it is to be real. I think we need to be honest and be transparent with our students and with our colleagues with admin, you know, you have to be a real person first um, and have a sense of humor for sure because it will get you through just about anything. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, and I think basically just have have a balance of humility. Like I still have a lot to learn and passion. I have a lot to give, right? And if you balance those two things, I think you're going to find your way. Well said. Darcy, thank you. You're welcome. Um, it has been nothing but a pleasure talking to you so far. Um, kind of interesting that our first conversation has really been recorded for public, but um, regardless, I have really gotten uh, enjoy getting a chance to know you before our school year started just a little bit, and I really look forward to getting to know you better this year. Ditto. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all for tuning into today's podcast. I want to encourage you to take a minute to reach out to today's guest and make a personal connection. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Jensen with Who's Behind the Bulldog.